Hey guys, welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. I'm Judah Thomas, the lead pastor, and we thank you for joining us today as we discover what God's Word has to say to us. If you enjoy the podcast, we'd encourage you to leave a rating, review, share it with your friends or family, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. Welcome to Thrive Church. We are so glad to see you here on this uh, beautiful day the Lord has made, and we are just so happy to have you here, and that would be great. So, uh, we are starting a brand new series uh, this weekend, and uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this series. It's called Start. Start. You know, everything starts somewhere, doesn't it? I mean, you, you started somewhere, didn't you? I mean, some of you started, you know, you, your start was on purpose. And some of you, you started on accident, right? Now, I mean, not, not accidental now, but at that one time, some of you started by the, the miracle of modern medicine. You know, you were started. Everything, every one of us has a start Somewhere. Romance has a start somewhere. You know, boy meets girl, girl meets boy. It starts somewhere. You fall in love. Your career has a start. Often it starts with just an interest in something. Your marriage has a start. Schooling has a start. Parenting has a start. All of these things, everything that we experience in our life has a start somewhere. And and including our faith. Our faith Starts somewhere. Now, much of our faith that we have, uh, most of it probably had a start when we were a kid. You know, did anybody go to church as a kid? Some of you guys, not everybody, and that's okay, but some of you went to church as a kid. And uh, as you go to church, or if your parents have faith, you're handed a certain set of beliefs, you're handed a certain set of things. That, that you begin to believe. Now, if you didn't go to, to church and if you weren't brought up in that environment, then you start to come up with those beliefs all on your own. You start to hear things, see things, say, yeah, that makes sense. Man, maybe I'll apply that in my life. And we begin to, to, to have our faith um, grow that way. So it's probably either it was handed to you or you kind of cobbled it together over time. And one of the things, or actually some of the things that we begin to believe, especially if, if we're handed faith, is a couple of things that, that we start to believe at a very early age. And one of them is that God is good. We believe that God is good. Everything good in the world comes from God. God is good. And as you're a kid, a lot of times everything seems good. So, so we have this belief that God is Good. Then another one that we often will pick up is that, that God uh, punishes evil and he rewards good things. So God punishes evil and he rewards bad things. Now, yeah, sorry, what did I, yeah. <laughs> That's the problem though. Sometimes as we grow older, we realize that it is flipped around like that. Um, but that God rewards the good things, punishes the bad things. You know, most world religions have something similar to that, don't they? You know, we, we have a whole way of punishing bad and rewarding the good. And a lot of times it's kind of to scare you into being good. It, it, it's like the, the Santa Claus religion, right? You know, you, you got to be good and you're going to get a good gift. And if you're bad, you're going to get a bad gift. Um, 
The other thing that oftentimes we'll start to believe is that God answers prayer. That if I pray, then God's going to answer. And some of these things, maybe not all, maybe you had some different ones, but some of these things are, are things that are handed to us. These are things that were handed to me as a belief as a child. You know, and, and if, if you grow up, you know, in, in uh, the church, you hear, you know, these different Bible stories. Like there's a Bible story about uh, Eli and, and Samuel. My parents would tell me this story when I was a kid because there was a time when Samuel was asleep and he hears this voice saying, Samuel, and he runs in to see Eli and he says, did you call me? And Eli's like, no, go back to bed. And Samuel goes back to bed and he hears a voice that says, Samuel, and he goes to Eli and says, did you call me? And he says, no, go back to bed. And this happens a few times and finally Eli says, Samuel. If you hear the voice again, it's maybe it's God say, yes, Lord, your servant is listening. And my parents would tell me, if you ever hear someone calling your name at night, say, yes, Lord, my servant is listening. And now, now go back to your room, turn off all the lights and lay there. And I'm like, God, uh, can't you talk to me in broad daylight? Come on. Like, we're going to need to put, like, like, like the, the rubber covers back on the bed again if you start talking to me in the middle of the night saying my name out. And, and so we, we kind of get these things. We become very familiar with some of these stories. But as we get older, our faith starts to take a hit. You know, the, the faith that was shaped as a child often can't stand up against the pressures of being an adult. And that's why a lot of times people can entirely walk away from the faith because the foundation that once seemed so strong as a child has now began to crumble. We say, well, well I was taught that God is good, but I see bad in the world. I see bad everywhere, and if God is everywhere and there's bad everywhere, then is God really good? Well, I, I believe that he would punish evil and he would reward good, but, but I see evil people out there and they're, going, they're getting rewarded. And I see good people that seem like they're getting punished. I, I was taught that if I, if I did good things, good things would happen to me, but, but sometimes in my life I do good things and, and I just get more bad things that happen to me. And, 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 I, and I would pray and, and, and sometimes God might answer a prayer, but, but not all the time. In fact, I was praying for a family member, and, and, and they, they still died anyway. How, how do I process this as I move into adulthood, as I grow? Because see, what, what started is, is fresh and real. The pressure of life begins to chip away at it. And sometimes we just walk away entirely. Listen to what Karen Armstrong wrote. She said, many of us have been left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God at the same time we were told about Santa Claus. But while the understanding about Santa Claus phenomena evolved and matured, our theology remained somewhat infantile. Not surprisingly, when we attained intellectual maturity, many of us rejected the God we had inherited and denied that he existed. You know, we, we hear about these things. We hear about Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and God and all these things. And then as we get older, our knowledge of those matures. But often our knowledge about God doesn't mature. And then there becomes a gap between what we're taught and what we've experienced in life. And it becomes less and less relevant. 
And that's why so many people are walking away from the faith, walking away from God. It's not like they have anything against it. It's just they've realized that it doesn't relate to my life anymore. So oftentimes, as an adult, we need to have a new starting point, a new start to our faith. We, we need to kind of hit the reset button. We need to say, okay, i got to reboot this thing. And, and, and take a look at it. And, and my challenge to you today is to take a look at our faith as if we knew nothing about it at all. You know, I, I went through this process many years ago. I said, I'm just going to start from the beginning as if I knew nothing at all. So where would I start? If, if I didn't know anything about church, if I didn't know all the Bible stories, if I never read the Bible before, if I didn't know any of these things, I'm just going to start over. Where do I start? So hopefully, through this series, we'll learn some new things, some challenging things. And uh, there might be a gap right now that you have between your faith and the real world, but we'll hopefully approach this differently than we approached it when we're younger. You know, when, when, when we grew up, um, and probably most of us had, had a certain uh, understanding about the Bible, probably not everybody, but some of us did. Uh, if, if you were like me, I was brought up believing that, that God's word, the Bible, is infallible. It's accurate. It's something that you can, you can base your entire life. It's God's word. There's no mistakes in it. As somebody I heard say when I was a kid, it's inspired from Genesis to the maps. You know, some of you guys have maps in the back. And the whole thing, it's all inspired. It's all equal. Everything is just as important as everything else. And, but the problem is we look at this as a book, but it's really not even a book. I mean, yeah, it's bound into one volume, but it's actually a collection of books. And sometimes we don't even understand that. We don't even realize where these books even came from. And, and, and as we grow, then you go to college and you hear some professor saying, oh, you can't trust that. And oh, the Bible's full of contradictions and oh, this and that. And you begin to question things and it starts to bring doubt. And to your mind, maybe you grew up in a family that respected the Bible but never read it. You know, it was like sitting on the coffee table and you don't want to put a drink on it, but we're certainly not going to open it up and read it. Maybe you go to church once a week where somebody would open it up and start talking something out of the Bible, but it never really made much sense. It wasn't really practical to our life. And then maybe you go and you're, you're around other people that don't have the same respect for it as you once did, and you realize, you know what, maybe... Maybe I need to move on from this. So I'm going to challenge you today. And, and some of you could misunderstand what I'm saying. So, so you know, before you jump in and start shooting me an email, um, just, just hang on, okay? Um, but, but if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The Bible says is not an adequate starting point or returning point for most people. The Bible says, what do you mean? Well, the Bible says this, and the Bible says that. And oftentimes, especially if you've grown up in the church, that's the final authority. It's God's word. So everything, my whole foundation of faith is based on the fact that the Bible says. In fact, many of us were taught a song as kids, weren't we? It goes, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Why do we know Jesus loves us? Because the Bible tells me so. Why, why do I know that he loves me? Just because, because the Bible told me so. But, but here's the problem. Bible saying something for many of us is not, not enough. Because we say, saying, well, well but, but, but let me tell you about the divorce that I went through. Or let me tell you about my bad experience in my job. Or let me tell you about the unanswered prayer that I've experienced in my life. The Bible says is not an adequate place to start. Now, no, don't get me wrong. I love God's Word. I think it's important. I think we should be reading it on a daily basis. But it's not an adequate place to start. But here's the good news. The Bible says wasn't intended to be the starting point for our Christian faith. It's not how Christianity started. The, the, the New, New Testament, uh, which is, you know, this part of the Bible here, it was written 250 to 350 years. It was compiled after the events in Jesus' life. So, so think about that for a moment. The entire early church could not go to church and say, now let's open up our Bibles. They didn't have that to base their faith on. You know, they, they couldn't say, oh, let's look at the, the New Testament. They, they had the, the Old Testament, the, 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 what was the Jewish Bible, and they would use that a little bit, but they didn't have any of the teachings of Jesus written down. They might have had some letters here and there, a few documents But hundreds of thousands of people became followers of Jesus Christ. Not because the Bible said so. It wasn't wasn't that the Bible said it. Christians, they gathered together. They had amazing faith. In fact, these believers actually died for their faith that they had never even read about. So, the question is, what was their start? How did they start then? If they didn't start with, well, the Bible says this, where did they start? How did they come to faith in Jesus Christ? How did they become a Christian, a Christ follower, with no Bible to tell them what to do? And maybe where they started is where we should start as well. So many folks have this mentality, well, the Bible says you ought to, so therefore go and do this. But that might not be the best place to start. There's a conversation that, that Paul had with, uh, with a group of people that had never heard about Jesus. they never heard about him at all. They didn't know who Jesus was. They knew nothing about him. And Paul's here, and he begins to have a conversation with these people. Now, this is about 20 years after Jesus had, had come and lived his life and did his ministry, died, was resurrected again. And, and I'm going to read a portion of, of Scripture here, but, but keep in mind that this is not just the Bible that I'm reading, but that it's actually, it's called the Book of Acts, which is actually a travel journal. It, it, it's a journal that, that Dr. Luke wrote, because Luke was traveling around with Paul, as Paul would go and he would teach people, and Luke would just kind of journal these things. He would write these things down. He would write down what happened. Now, now keep in mind that, that the book of Acts was written before Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. They didn't have those books. They didn't have the written words of Christ. But here's the thing. 
Paul knew what he knew because of who he knew, not because of what he'd read. Paul knew what he knew because of who he knew, not because of what he read. See, who did Paul know? He knew Peter. He knew John. He knew James, the brother of Jesus. He met with these people. He interviewed them. He knew these people. So, so Paul's writings, you know, they come before the, the, the Gospels did. In fact, most of Paul's writings were written in, in, in the 50s, uh, 50 A.D., 53, 54 A.D., somewhere in there. No one disputes that. Everybody knows it was a historical person named Paul, and then he wrote letters to the church. But he didn't learn this from, from the Bible. He learned it from the people that actually had experienced these events. So anyhow, so here's, here's Paul. He's in Athens, Greece, and, and, and we, we see this in this travelogue written by Luke. Uh, Paul is presenting Jesus to a group of people that knew nothing about Jesus. And so we're going to start in Acts uh, chapter 17, verse 16. It says, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace. So here's, here's Paul. He's going to the synagogue. That's where the religious people gather. Then he's going out into the marketplace. He's just going out into the streets. He, you know, he's like, I see you people are very religious. I want to talk to somebody about your beliefs. So he begins talking to people. He begins to engage them in conversation. He says, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happen to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Now, the Epicureans were, were the kind of folks that were kind of like, we don't know, we don't have all the answers, but we do know that we like to eat and have a glass of wine. So do that, and everything's going to work out fine. And, and, and then the Stoics, on the other hand, were like, if you give us enough time, we're going to figure out all this stuff. So there was a group of the Epicureans and the Stoics, and they began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Now, in Athens, they had so many idols. They had so many gods that they would worship. In fact, he said, he said, I see him everywhere. He was distressed by that fact. And, And they had so many that you would need permission in order to introduce a new one. Because if you just introduced a new god out of the blue, I mean, this could cause a civil war. This could cause riots. So, so he said, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Now keep in mind, all that Paul knew about Jesus was from the people that actually knew Jesus, including his brother, James. All that Paul knew about the resurrection was from people that had actually seen the resurrected Lord. He didn't read it. He actually met with these people. Verse 19. It says, Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. Do we have a picture of that, George? We got a picture of that? Or the Areopagus. Okay, so, so see where those people are? That's an actual place. That's where they would actually go and meet. And, and so they bring him to this place, the, 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 the Areopagus, they bring him to this meeting place, 
And they're basically saying, we want you to start from the beginning. This is the place where, where Ares supposedly, in their mythology, stood on trial for killing Poseidon's son. Okay? So this was like a, almost like a holy place. You can actually go there. You can actually stand there. This is a real place. It's not a Bible story. There's no Bible yet to speak of. So, so they take him there. And then when they said to him, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is, that you're presenting. So this, this is something that actually happened. That was a place of judgment. They would bring the, uh, people to judge them. The, the city council would come and they would meet there. They would make the decisions for the city there. So they took him here to decide if they would allow Paul to spread the news of this foreign God, this new God. Verse 20. He says, you are bringing some strange ideas into our ears. <laughs> I mean, here, here he is talking about a man who died and rose from the dead again. Like, you are bringing some strange ideas to us. We've never heard anything like this. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. Verse 21, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So they wanted to hear what these ideas were. They loved talking about religion and gods and all these things. And they talked about it all the time. But now what Paul's saying is something that's strange. It's different. They haven't heard it before. Verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found even an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. We got the picture? It's like this. This was an altar to the unknown God. So as he's going through, he sees this altar, and it says, to the unknown God. And he's like, I see you're very religious. You even have an altar to a God you don't even know about. So... um, so, so here they are, he says, uh, uh, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. So you're ignorant. Now this doesn't mean you're stupid or you're dumb. It, basically he's just saying, you don't, you don't know yet what, what's going on. You're just unaware of certain things. Says, so you're ignorant to the very thing you worship. You have this altar to an unknown God, but you don't even know. You don't even know what you're worshiping. And that's what I'm here to proclaim to you. There's altars all over. And they're like, in case we miss one, we're going to make an altar to the unknown God. They actually built this thing. They actually built it. Said, you know, if he shows up one day, we can be like, we were expecting you. We knew you were coming. We didn't know a name to put on there, but this one's for you. You know, this altar is for you. We've been waiting for you. We just didn't know who you were yet. We didn't know your name. So this is true of of all religions. And this is what what Paul was leveraging here was this uncertainty that they had. This, I I just don't know. We have all these altars. We want to cover all of our bases. So we even made one to the the God that we probably left out because we certainly don't want to tick him off. And we just don't know him yet. Like here, here's, here's what we are sure of, but we're not sure of everything. And, and many of us are the same way. It's like the folks that, that like to go to church on Christmas and Easter or go to church twice a year. It's like, I don't know if it really does anything, but, but just in case, I'm going to show up at, at Christmas and Easter. 
Or some people have like a piece of jewelry that, you know, they, they want to touch it because if something bad happens or whatever, like, I don't know, just in case. Or, or people like to, to knock on wood, right? You see people do that, it's like something good happen. Oh, knock on wood, just in case. It prob- the wood's probably not going to do anything, but just in case. Knock on wood. <laughs> that might do something. I don't know, but just in case. I don't know, just in case. So here they are. They're very religious. They know something's out there. They know there's God out there, but they just aren't sure what. They're ignorant. They're not dumb. They're just guessing at it. They're just taking a stab in the dark. They're not certain. If they were certain, they certainly wouldn't have had an altar around to an unknown God. We're about to look at what Paul said. And Paul is about to take the un off of the known. He's about to make the unknown known. He said, I'm going to make known something that you probably didn't already know. And in verse 24, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He's bigger than all your gods put together. He's bigger than that. It's like you go and you see, you see a, a piece of artwork, and it's beautiful, and that's a beautiful piece of artwork, but you don't find the artist in the artwork. You go and see a sculpture, and oh, that sculpture is so beautiful. Oh, it's great. It shows the artist's handiwork, but you don't find the sculptor in the sculpture. And, and, and he's saying, you know, we see the world, we see creation, we see all these things around. And some people say, well, I just, I love to go in creation. And we can see about God, but God is not creation. He is not in that. It reflects His glory. But He's too big for your puny little altar. He's too big for the temple that you have. And he's, he says in verse 25, and he's not served by human hands as if he needs anything. Here you are, you're bringing incense to these altars, you're sacrificing things, you're bringing Coca-Cola and potato chips, you're bringing all these things, you're lighting candles. Oh, i got to appease the God, i got to bribe the God. He's like, he doesn't need all that. He, he's not served by human hands like he needs something. Rather, he, gives himself, he, he himself gives life and breath, and everything else. He doesn't need anything. In fact, it's because of Him that everything exists. He sustains everything. Verse 26 says, From one man He made all the nations. All the nations. Not just the Jews. Not just the Greeks. Not just if you're from Athens. Not just if you're from Rome. It says that He made everything. All the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. This is for every nation, for every people group. He's not just the God of the north. He's not just the God of the, the east. He's not just the God of the west. Not just the God of the south. He's the God for all of us. Wherever we are, no matter our situation and circumstances, He is a God for all of us. Verse 27, God did this so that they would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him. That word reach is kind of like, like the, the, the word we use like, like to grope. Like you're groping around in the dark looking for a light switch. You ever do that before? 
You know, you're at a restaurant or somewhere, and you go into the bathroom, and you close the door behind you, and you forgot to look for the light switch, you know? You're like groping around. I know it's got to be here somewhere. We're groping around in the dark looking for something. He says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out, grope for him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. Now, now this next verse is, is fascinating because Paul does not start quoting the Bible. He doesn't even quote the, the, the Old Testament, what they already had written. He doesn't quote any of his own personal letters. you know who he starts quoting? He quotes their philosophers. He's like saying, you guys didn't miss it completely. I'm going to quote some of your poets, some of the people that write the plays that you go and see. I'm going to quote them. Verse 28. It says, for in him we live and move and have our being. In him we live and move and have our being. This was written by uh, Epimenides. And listen to what he actually had written, the, the entirety of that piece that he wrote. He says, they fashioned a tomb for you, holy and high one. Cretans always liars, evil beasts, idle bellies. But you are not dead. You live and abide forever. For in you we live and move and have our being. I don't exactly know what he was writing about there. But Paul saw that and he saw a way to weave this in. Hey, you you might not believe what I tell you from, from the Bible, but you believe your philosophers. And it says, in him we live and breathe and have our being. He goes on, as some of your own prophets have said, we are his offspring. This was written by Aratus. You know, he was another poet of the time. In verse 29, he says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. An image made by human design and skill. How powerful could a God be if I made him with my own hands? Man, I cannot create you know, a God more powerful than the one that created everything. And so he's saying that, that he, he's not like these other ones. We shouldn't think of him like being gold or silver or stone. An image made by human design or skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. In the past, he realized that there was darkness. He realized that, that people just didn't quite get it. They just didn't quite understand. He understood that people were seeking, but they were blinded. He understood that they went and they, were, they, they, they knew there was something there, so they'd build these altars and they'd build these temples and they'd even build altars to a God they didn't know. And he overlooked that for a while. He overlooked this in- ignorance. But now everything has changed. It's all different now. God's not going to overlook that anymore. Because now He commands all people everywhere to repent. All people. This is not just something for the Jews. Initially they thought it was just for the Jews. But it wasn't. It's for everyone. And He's calling them everywhere to repent. Now it's not talking about sin. He's not mentioning sin here. He's not saying we need to turn from our sin just yet. He's talking about we need to change our mind. To change our our mind about God. God is here and He did something now. He did something not too many years ago. He did something real. Verse 31. For He has set a day when He would judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. This is Jesus who He appointed. 
And he has given proof. And they're like, stop, hold on a second. Are you trying to say there's proof? There's no proof in religion. If there was proof, we wouldn't have an altar to an unknown God. We believe, we have some faith, we try to do the best that we can, we try to keep all these gods happy, and now you're saying there's proof? He says he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Are you saying this this all-powerful, all-knowing God gave us proof? He gave us certainty? And Paul said, yeah, that's why I'm here. That's why I left the comforts of home. That's why I've dedicated my life to traveling around telling people of this good news that God has done something. Because what does proof do? Proof moves us from hope so to no so. Proof moves us from, oh, I hope I'm doing everything right to I know I'm serving the one true God. See, when you don't have proof, you start making altars to unknown gods. But once you have that proof, now we have that confidence. It's a, well, we'll just wait and see if it all works out to being certain about what God did. What, what proof did God do? God sent one good enough, powerful enough, wise enough, and pure enough that he could judge the entire world. In verse 32, it says, well, actually, before we get there. So he sent this one, and then he, he, he raised him from the dead again. Now, when, they, when he says this, okay, that he's rose, risen from the dead, now they start to get skeptical, as you could probably imagine. But Paul's not saying this because, oh, I read it out of a book somewhere. He's saying it because he knew the disciples. He knew Peter. Peter saw. He went in there. He saw. And Peter's like, this is what happened, man. This is what, I saw him with my own eyes. This isn't just like, you know, a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. It's not just something I saw on the Internet somewhere. Because we know everything we see on the internet is true. Um, he said, I actually knew these people. God raised someone from the dead so that we could have proof that he is who he claimed he could be. This is not just for the Jews. He was sent to the whole world. Verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, they repented and tore down their idols and turned to God. <laughs> That's not what it says, does it? You know, if, we, if this is a Bible story, though, this is what it would say, right? If, if, if they were making it up, like, like a Christian movie, you see the Christian movies, right? Anybody watch a Christian? And like, everybody, like, gets, comes to God at the end, you know? It's great. If we were writing a story, we'd be like, yeah, and they all just turn from their evil ways and turn to God. But no, that's not what he said. We wish it said that, but it doesn't. This is a real conversation with real people that had real concerns. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Of course they did. Of course they did. You know, because they're saying, you know what? We've seen a lot of dead people. We've seen a lot of people die. And people that die usually stay dead. Pretty sure what you're telling us is a story. And Paul's like, no, 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 I, I actually met with the people. In fact, Jesus appeared to me years later when I was on the road to Damascus. And they're like, we, we're just not, not so sure. So some of them sneered. They're like, get, get this guy out of here. We might not know everything, but we know that dead people stay dead. They don't rise from the dead. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers 
of Paul, and they actually believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others actually started to believe. They weren't believing because Paul came out saying, well, the Bible says this, and the Bible says that. And, and, and I'm not saying that we don't use the Bible. The Bible is the foundation of what we believe. But he didn't have that. But he was tapping into something that was even deeper and more central and a better starting point for us. Most people were laughing at his conversation. They're saying, if that's where you got to start, then I'm not starting. But a few of them were curious. He said, you know, he, he says that he actually knew these people. He knows these people. He talks to them. He sees them from time to time. And, and they actually saw this person that rose from the dead. We know no one can survive a crucifixion. So, so may, maybe this is real. We don't know. We want to talk about it some more. And Paul said, yeah, you know what? For the first few years, I didn't believe it either. But then one day I met the risen Savior. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Where we start is not with the Bible says. What we start is with a question. The starting point for the Christian faith is not the Bible, but it's with, with a question. It's not just believe, it's with a question. It's, and that question is not, was Adam and Eve really naked in the garden? <laughs> You can go and discuss that later on your own if you want to. Or, or how did Noah get all those animals onto the ark? Or, or what was, did God, when God created the earth, was it a literal six days? Or were like those days like millions of years? Oh, go have lunch and talk that over with somebody. You're not going to figure it out. But, but have fun talking about it if you want. Those aren't the questions. The question that you have to wrestle with, that's central to our faith, is write this down. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? All the major religions in the world have made room for Jesus, haven't they? They say, well, he's a prophet, or he's this or that. Well, they obviously haven't read his words, because if they did, he would realize that prophets don't say things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, that, that was a bold statement that he made. So we need to, to wrestle with this question, who is Jesus? Paul had one opportunity to talk with these group of people that didn't know anything about Jesus. They knew nothing. And, and the starting point of the faith was that Jesus rose from the dead. That he is the Messiah. He is the one that God sent. Regardless of, of your past, regardless of abuses, regardless of, of unanswered prayers, regardless of, of if you feel like bad people get rewarded and good people get punished, regardless of all of those things that you've experienced in your life, regardless of the fact that you might believe that God isn't always good, re regardless of all those things, these are fascinating questions, but the question that matters most is this, who do you think? Jesus is. As C.S. Lewis talked about in his, in his book, Mere Christianity, which is a great book, it outlines all of Christianity and our beliefs, and, and ironically, he doesn't quote Scripture in it. 
He just lies out like what, what it is to believe. But he says, you know, with all these things that Jesus said and did, we have to come to the conclusion that he's either who he says he is, he's a liar, or he's a nut job. It's one or the other. Because, because a normal person doesn't go around saying what Jesus said. So, who do you think Jesus is? Because once you answer that question, the other questions begin to start getting answered on their own. So Paul left this hill, leaving them with this question, this issue to wrestle with. Who is Jesus? And that's where we'll leave it today. But there's good news. This this series is called Start, and this is just the start. We're going to be digging into the deeper, you know, what, what our faith is founded on. But, but there's a little bit of homework that I have for you, if you don't mind too much. And that's, you know, in your, in your Thrive group or even with your friends or your family, or maybe you find someone here today, say, hey, let's go out to eat. And, and as you're eating and you're talking, uh, I want you to discuss these questions. The first one is, is how and when did your faith journey begin? Where did it start? Where did your faith journey start? How did it start? Your starting point, what was that? And then the second question, the follow-up question is, how has your faith held up under the rigors of life? Has it supported you through life, or have you found yourself trying to support it? Because if we're just supporting it, we can't hold it up. And that's why sometimes we need to take a step back and say, who is Jesus? Why do I believe what I believe? So this paves the way for what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. If, if you want to see this again, if you're like, wow, you know, there's a lot there, check it out online. We have all the videos that you can watch it online, and it'll be there for you. But I just challenge you to, to ponder this question. You know, look at the Bible. When you read the Bible, we just finished reading Acts as a church together. We're just starting in Romans today. Uh, sign up on, on thrive.church slash Bible. And even though I said, you know, the Bible is not the best starting point, man, it's important for us to read it on a daily basis. And we're reading through Romans right now. And as we read it, sometimes if, if you've been around church for a while, we start to fill in the blanks. Like, oh, I know what that says I can just skim past it. Let's, let's look at our faith over these next eight weeks. As if we're looking at it with fresh eyes. Like we've never looked at it before. Like we don't know anything. Let's not go any, with any preconceived ideas. Let's just say, who is Jesus and what do I have to learn? Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for Jesus who came to this earth, who you sent here to live a sinless life. And, and, and after he died, you rose him from the dead again. And we thank you for that. And Lord, we ask you to give us faith. Give us your faith. Give us wisdom. Draw us closer to you. And and maybe you're here and you've never taken that first step. You've never made a commitment to Christ before. And in God's word, it says, if you believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, and you say that with your mouth, that you'll be saved. That's all you got to do. Even just just acknowledging, yes, this is what I believe. You can even just hand out there and just check it off. I'm making a commitment to God with my life now that first step saying you know what this question who Jesus is well I'm going to say for today for, for, for the next little while I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him a chance I'm going to say you are my Lord and I'm going to follow you and, and we'll see where this goes we'll see where this journey leads because I trust in you 
bless each one, increase our faith, draw us to you. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with us? And we're going to be continuing the series over the next several weeks. We'd like to have you come back. But before we close, we're just going to sing a song praising our God together. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go and visit us at www.thrive.church. If you're ever in the area, we'd like to invite you to come and join us. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, we encourage you to leave a rating, review, share with your friends and family. Until next time, may you grow deeper in God's word each day.